Welcome to Sense Space. I'm Jacob Kashir. I hope you're having a wonderful July. This is a dialogue with Daniel Zaruba, a philosopher and friend and participant in the pioneering field of dialogos or practice. Um, and as many of you know, dialogos has really been the inspiration throughout this whole project of Sense Space for the last uh, about three and a half years now and something that I've practiced very deeply that I've delved into that I feel has enormous potential for human consciousness and relationship. So with this new dialogue with Daniel, I'm going to be launching off a series called The Doors of Dialogos and the intention is to really dive deeply into the nature of Dialogos, exploring many different dimensions of it with the pioneers of the practice and the people who are most passionate about Dialogos. Uh, so I'm super stoked to offer this and to go on this mini journey within the larger journey of sense space and the journey of philosophy and love and wisdom. So great to have you alongside and uh, really excited to share this particular dialogue with Daniel, in which we explore remembering the dimension of being, the relationship between art and philosophy, uh, dialogos and prayer, and some of the dangers of sophistry and political implications of a wisdom-oriented community. So thank you very much and hope you enjoy. Sense Space. Today I'm here with Daniel Zaruba, and we're going to be diving into dialogue, exploring, hopefully opening up some of the doors of Dialogos, a practice which Daniel has been delving deeply, deeply into over the last year, um, last several years, I should say. And uh, just before I hand it over to you. I just want to offer an intention for the dialogue today that we will explore somewhere we didn't expect to get to, that we will, in some sense, go beyond our expectation, go beyond ourselves, and be surprised by the intelligence and resonance available through this practice, uh, which is so dear to me and uh, a big, big part of your, your life and, and your contribution as well. So welcome, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Here we are. So, yeah. And it's interesting because you've been engaging in this series with guy and your other collaborator forgive me the name i have forgotten already um and in that series you're really exhibiting the practice you're not just kind of rolling into the conversation 
um, you're also kind of showing what you're doing as you're doing it. So that's uh, that's potentially a dynamic for us to explore here um, in service of people's own exploration of D-Logos as well. And so I'm going to play a little bit with, with those meta observations as we go through, uh, at least at the outset. Because what I'm feeling now is kind of the gathering of the open space of the field. And there's not a clear question. The, the question for me is, is more in drawing my orientation to the space from which the question is going to arise. Um, and it's not necessarily that I'm going to get it and it's going to come like that. Um, but there is something very important about the the clearing and the 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 tuning into the space of possibility at the outset of the dialogue that seems to create a kind of playing field or a, or a, or a space in which we can then begin to place something mm -hmm. or indeed observe something that's already there and then from from that place you know we get a thread we begin to move and it's not necessarily um it's it's almost as if finding that thread or or placing that piece we're beginning to sort of open up a whole um matrix of connections and ideas and all the books uh, behind you on the wall and all the conversations that you've had and all the conversations I've had that somehow will be drawn together in a, a particular way in a unique way in this conversation and I know that wasn't a question mark, but <laughs> I'm passing it to you because I've concluded my my remark. Um. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say that um, the field of dialogue is almost as important as the dialogue itself field where this all takes place right and in order to like intentionally enter this field then that takes virtue that takes wisdom that takes also some comportment that lets you do that because i think why today in our culture conversations have become often so difficult <laughs> is because we have forgotten to enter that field where we can really mutually tap into each other's perspective and bring them together in some in a kind of harmonic whole. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
I mean, I can talk a little bit about my experience with Dialogos if if you want. Yeah, um, I, I would love that. Just one question on what, what you just said before. Sure. Um, that those those difficult conversations, those <laughs> the difficulty of having dialogue be a communion, uh, a communion like experience that it can be. Um, it's are you saying that the field is like the, the, there's no awareness of of the field dynamic being there, or there's no attending to it at the outset. But is it the case that the field is already there, always acting, even if we if we just roll up into a conversation and and we just assume uh, assume ignorance of those dynamics or the need to attend to them? Is it just it's just there in the background, like invisible? Are we kind of hiding us, hiding it from ourselves? No, I would, I would say that, you know, phenomenology, this is like one of the key insights from phenomenology is that things, you know, can appear, like one and the same thing can appear in different modalities, can show itself in different ways. It's like not that all things are the same all the time. Like things can show forth in different ways. Now, I would say then, you know, there are different fields we are inhabiting, but we are not aware that we are inhabiting different fields. Most of the time, you're kind of inert to those differences, to fields, but also the differences, how things show themselves in different ways. Um, so a philosopher I really like, uh, Nishitani Keiji from the Kyoto School, um, talks about three fields in his major work, religion and nothingness. Um, first one being the, kind of the field of consciousness, which is something like modern subjectivity. And that's also something that we, we usually do not realize when we are in that, that enclosure of subjectivity, mm. which is the, also the enclosure that, for example, phenomenology or Heidegger or, or the Kyoto School, they try to overcome this, which is often the subject, you know, it's keyword is like the subject-object division. Um, the other field for Nishitani would be the field of nihility, where all things appear in a kind of alienation, in a kind of ontological alienation. I would also argue that this has similar to what Heidegger calls the standing reserve, where then beings can be manipulated and operated with in certain respects. And then the last field for him is the field of, of shunyata or the field of emptiness, which is like there, there a being is in its home ground. There a being shows forth in its, in its suchness, just as it is. And then also the human being um, has 
or, or brings forth his or her original self if that, that field or that point is minded by the human being. Um, now, these practices that, that we are doing, in my opinion, also require things like wisdom, things like meditation, and so on, in order to get out of the field of consciousness, which is the field which we usually inhabit, and then get into the field of, let's say, emptiness, where we are in this dimension where sense can arise in the first place. Maybe to use your channel name, it's the, the original sense space. <laughs> um, um, because in the field of consciousness, everything's just you know directed to you. You, in a sense, are the, 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 the center of all sense but not in the field of shunyata. That's why things like surrendering or, or kenosis, so like the, 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 the what is it, translation? Um, kind of giving over oneself to the other and, and all of these things. These are things one can do in order to inhabit that, that field. Mm. Okay, so a little bit of, of, of what I just heard in, in what you said. Um, so we're, we're inhabiting a field of consciousness, normative consciousness, but we don't necessarily uh, see that or know it. Um, and every every individual in, in particular, just to sort of ground it in my own experience, I often do find um, I do not I don't know my own field of consciousness uh, until it's brought into dialogue with another. You know, in this case, a, a person in dialogue um, coming into the conversation, I'm moving from like my field which is to a certain extent invisible to me and then it's by the contrast of the other field that i that it begins to be known i can i can kind of there's like a there's a mirroring and there's a knowing of my own field by contrast of the other but then you're also saying there's a whole host of capacities outside of the dialogue such as your wisdom, your uh, capacity for presence, I suppose, is what's indicated by the meditation, your, your awareness, your capacity to, your, your having had some experience of surrender seems to be um, somehow conducive to the likelihood of being surrendered to the greater whole of the dialogue. So that's all very lovely and interesting. <laughs> Unfortunately, again, I'm, I'm not ending my sentences and questions, but I think that's okay. Because okay. we're just, we're, we're, we're building, we're kind of laying out uh, 
we're putting some pickup sticks down here and we're we're getting a little bit of a a sense of the terrain of the of of the emptiness in some way i i think we need to gradually build an understanding of the dialogos and what is entailed in it in order to uh sort of know the know it by the absence of that mm -hmm. yeah um so from my experience with with um doing dialectic into dialogos for again a year but i've done it before as well sometimes more regularly sometimes more irregularly um one thing that's very curious is uh, like like is when when all of the participants are surrendering to the other and to the space so like they are not you know in their own head in their own field let's say field of subjectivity they do not have any you know judgments let's say about the other they do not value what the other says but they are just giving themselves over to the intelligibility that's arising then the funny thing is that um there's really a kind of line that's taking you and leading you somewhere and that's that's a line that we are all participating in but we are none of us is, is really guiding that it's very mysterious what it is but this 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 feeling is is present a lot there's suddenly we are all there with our perspectives but there's a fountain which informs all the perspectives that are present in the dialogue or in the dial trialogue or how many people are present um the fountain of all perspectives is itself not a perspective we surrender to that really brings us to places which we could not um to which we could not come to on our own and that's that's very that's that's it's very interesting and then the thing is for example when you do philosophical fellowship where you kind of extend your dialogue to a sage that's you know just dwelling in a in a book or in a quote or in a paragraph you know we've done this with people like buba or Eckhart or Carl Jung or Heidegger, who, who knows, can do it with everyone. But then the, the, the perspective of that person is also present. So like, then suddenly you see, okay, this field is not just between you and me, but it's like, it's extending to through time, <laughs> basically. Mm. Um, mm. And then, then you see that this field is truly open. Um, and then we realize that the, 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 
the reciprocality within the field of emptiness is really one that's not just now, but also has a temporal dimension, which extends like far beyond. Like it's it's just not not just in the now, but it's, yeah, it's like yeah. it's mirroring it's mirroring into past and future. Right, the the through line mm-hmm. that John talks about, um, kind of, I think of it like this: the structure of a tree, like the the roots coming in, and then the singular through line, and then the branches coming out. And there's something that that image seems to speak to what happens when we're not just observing that through line, that current in the middle, but we're participating in it then there's this kind of vertical Mm -hmm. dimension as well um there's a there's a lot of pieces coming coming here and a lot of them are religious in nature um (laughs) i can tell you by the way it's often um when we did this practice um by the way, if somebody is interested, these would be on my channel or on Guy Sangstock's channel. Yeah. So these, we often came to, we often started at the neutral place. And then like 40 minutes later, we are talking about religious imagery. But we did not plan to go there. It just happens. Like, which also mm. might, it's just a very curious thing that I noticed. Yeah, I mean, if I trace the course of my own uh, my own trajectory over the last several years, I can see a, a track from psychedelic-induced mystical experience to dialogos as a as a more available day-to-day access point and something that you know you're not just in dialogue with yourself and the entheogen, the plant medicine, but you're in dialogue with yourself or with guy or with whoever, whomever. And all of those are unique mirrors. Uh, Mirror may not be the best word for it, but subsequent to that, I've been in a deep dive into Christianity Uh, over the course of the last year. It really, really, uh, opened up for me. Um, as as Christianity usually does in the midst of some sort of personal devastation and um, and and difficulty. But through the course of that, prayer as a practice came to be a really substantial part of my life and my ecology of practices. And so when you spoke about the availability of the field or the sense of like, you, you kind of evoked this notion that it's, it's, it's somehow like always available. Were you properly conformed to it, then, then you would be in contact with it. And that, uh, that reminds me very much of prayer. Um, and in addition to that, I've been listening to Ken Lowry um, 
and speaking with him and he's been engaging with John and Ken talks about his experience of the resonance of prayer. And when he's speaking, I often have had aversion to the traditional prayers, the older prayers, but he's, he spoke about the idea that when he speaks those words, he's in that vertical mm-hmm. with all of the people, uh, who have used those as a means to <clears throat> commune with God. And I haven't experienced that in relation to those older prayers, but I have found in old temples in crypts, uh, and old, old, uh, you know, thousand year old churches, which there are a few of in England, uh, that I feel the resonance of that. And so bringing in quite a few pieces here, but I think it will be helpful. Um, Rupert Sheldrake, the, you're familiar with him. Um, his ideas around morphic resonance, morphic fields have really interestingly interacted with the experience of praying in the crypt and feeling like there's a potency to this space because of all the people who have prayed in it before, because this, the sanctification of the, of the space that's occurred. And so two of the things that I've wondered about is, well, the first one I'm not wondering about, I actually know it and you probably feel the same way is that when you've cultivated a field, when you've participated with others in it, in a dialogos practice continually over time there's something about the substantiality or availability of that field that it's it's um morphically it's it's morphic field is more uh, available as a consequence but then the question for me is like does that then extend beyond the bounds of the dialogue with those people into other people who weren't in that dialogue like is dialogos in some way rippling outwards into dialogues that occur outside of it what kind of dialogues do you mean now Uh, meaningful conversations that people so, so so the question is like how how do meaning how do let's say accomplished meaningfully accomplished dialogues what's their impact or how do they relate to other dialogues is that like the question yeah yeah other dialogues but i suppose at the root of that is a is a question around how connected is what's occurring in the dialogos field with the larger field of life
I would say, you know, as, as human beings, um, we are always oscillating between modes in a sense. Um, now we could, you know, oh, how can we go there? Um, let's say there's a, you know, there's a, there's an old distinction, which is work and leisure. And in some sense, you can even, you know, think about the platonic cave in a sense. You know, sometimes we are we just having to do things where we're not really engaged with the sense of things. That's kind of work. It's just things you know that are you have to do them. Needs we just have to fulfill them. We don't and often you know we don't want to do them. Contingent factors you know that impact our life you know. I could walk out and, you know, um, I break my leg <laughs> and then I can, you know, then, then I'm, I'm just, you know, I have to go to the hospital and I have to see a doctor and I have to, you know, when I, then I'm, you know, then I'm in a different field. Okay. Leisure, on the other hand, is, is philosophically, we could, we could make the case that leisure is that, is that, um, time where we are, where, where the sense of things is available to us. There's a nice quote that I often have in mind when talking about this by a Catholic philosopher from, from Germany, um, Josef Pieper, who had written a book, um, Leisure as the Basis of Culture. Um, and he says what... what um, <laughs> What, what leisure, or the Greek word would be skole, what, what, what leisure is to time, the temple is to space. Um, and that, that came up because <laughs> we're talking about crypts and churches and so on. Um, so it, it fits with that. I, I will repeat it because it's a little bit. Of, so what, what leisure is to time, the temple is to space. <laughs> So, so those, <laughs> those things, you know, are, are sheltering, in a sense, the sense of things, meaning of things, okay? Um, it's a dimension where sense can arise. Um, now, why do we say all of this? Um, for me, it's more, it's more a question of, you know, can a culture, can our culture again find a way towards something like dignified leisure, where we can practice what Plato would call anamnesis, where we are remembering the dimension of being, the dimension of sense. Those things can all be, you know, going to going to church, praying, reading, reading a, a philosophy book for, for hours, doing, doing dialectic into dialogos, doing meditation. All of these things can help us to remember that more original field, that more original dimension where the sense is, 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 um, can, can arise.
and of course then you know those times where those places where that can arise then there we build a temple <laughs> so so um then then you know then also zoom can be a home then even zoom can be you know the fireplace where we are where we are gathered mm. um but in the past of course these were churches these were temples these were dojos these were um, these were other things you know but we live in a digital age so everything's you know everything's reconfiguring so to say and then the spaces of meaning cultivation are somewhere else youtube or zoom or at least at least you know for many of us mm. no that's a really lovely lovely um lovely quote and yeah as a i don't know if this quite relevant but for me initially i found it very important to actually be in the temple in the church in this case and going to a particular place was very affording like going through the big heavy wooden door into the space of the church allowed me to really know that I was entering into a different realm yeah. and I could become more sensitized to that shift and I would dip my finger in the holy water and this was also a symbolic you know a mini baptism um, and then the comportment of the particular postures of of the body and prayer like these things also all helped to still and then i moved to middle of nowhere in wales uh, where i didn't have a car and so i had to make a home uh uh temple i had to make a little shrine as the kind of buddhists and hindus i guess often have in their homes and so i got my icon that i picked up years ago of jesus from greece and the candles and I was able to, to a decent extent, to reconnect with the same, and sometimes even imaginally putting myself back in the church was helpful to get that. And so, to in there's there is some loose but meaningful similarity here in the dialogue that we remember the place of dialogue as the temple uh as as we're entering it but you know with some sort of ritual but perhaps also simply in the course of it it's it's almost a temple making rather than just arriving in it we have to actually uh endow space time with those qualities And I suppose the one of the questions I'm living in relationship to prayer, in relationship to trying to cultivate more continuity of connection with God is
is it simply that I am through being more continuously conformed with this uh, original field, as you put it, and I don't want to collapse those distinctions if they're meaningfully different, uh, but they sound overlapping. So if I'm meaningfully conformed with that field or with relationship to God more readily, then life becomes available to me in a different way. And things happen, synchronicities occur. Um, you know, encounters with strangers, so on, become pleasant surprises. Um, and I'm able to perceive the deeper movements of patterns in the lives of people around me um, that they're not always sensitive to as they're in them. So that's, that's profound, um, but it's a matter of me being conformed differently to what already is in a way that then is like, I'm sensitive to what happens. And, and that, that means I can have more of those moments occur, those moments of, uh, of beauty or connection or what have you. But there's another possibility at hand, which is that actually when I'm conforming myself in prayer or being connected with the logos through dialogue that actually that is, uh, that, that that's in dialogue with, with the whole, with God in such a way that it's not just me being conformed to what is, but it's actually that what is, is, is in subtle ways coming to meet me or being drawn in correspondence with me in certain sense is prayer having a miraculous metaphysical impact non-locally through the field of uh of life in a way that we can't understand or see um but isn't just us being more open and conformed but is actually um however you want to put it quantum entanglement magnetism uh it's actually drawing things in um or it's it's shifting matter or people the way that things show up um when you did this you know uh how does that feel invoking this meta dimension it feels very uh, uh flowy and it feels <laughs> i mean this is very much often how i describe the process of dialogos with people i describe it as a kind of self other tantric movement where i'm in myself i'm in the other and then in the betweenness back and forth is when i get into the mystery space and that's wonderful you know this is like there's a reciprocal exchange we're not we not we're not we're not shut down again in our field of subjectivity where we just you know closed into ourselves but we make a leap and then this reciprocality 
mechanical. Our self is then flowy. So it's like, it's open, it's porous. It's more like water that's flowing, but it's not, it's not like, it's not like a substance, you know? <laughs> like, a, a, like a rock, you know, that's closed or something. <laughs> um, so so yeah and, and i would definitely say that you know honest prayer um honest prayer can authentic prayer can also you know bring you to a place where it's not maybe like that but it's more like <laughs> between commun communion you know between you know let's say God and and you. Um, I often just want to highlight, you know, that all of these things can be done inauthentically. Um, you can go to church, you can go to prayer, but all of this sense, you know, can be alien to you. you know, think mm. about, you know, Kierkegaard and his, or Nietzsche, you know, them criticizing you know the christianity of their time you know people just go there because of habits and then you know when they leave there there's there's nothing christian about them but i mean nominally they are christians and going to the church and and saying all of these things but not they're, they're, they are not invested they weren't invested that was the critique of people like like nietzsche and kierkegaard thoughts like um, most of Christianity. So what I just want, would like to stress or emphasize is that one really needs to surrender to these things. Um, then then the, the, they, can, they can provide an, an access towards sense or meaning. But they can remain inert. That's that's all. Just all, and that's the great danger of, of doing. You know, <laughs> that's something you also every individual has to recognize for him or herself. You know, I'm doing meditation. Or I'm doing some spiritual practice, and I'm like, am I inert, or am I in? Am I in touch with something? You know, I'm in touch with something that's not quite. It's a little bit mysterious. Or, or is it just, mm. Mm. that's, you know, that every, every person has to find that out for him or herself mm. on their own, on their own way. There's like a, uh, well, there's, there's definitely a sense of the real deal. Uh, you can't mistake the real deal uh, in those experiences when you're encountering when you're having a, a felt sense of being in relation that is transformative to you by the mere presence of that relation, as in prayer, so in dialogue, like we, we've, we've, you, you know, you, you feel the real dealness of it is the best way I can put it. Um, and Hmm. What well, is an interesting distinction is that in 
dialogue for the I find the dialogos to actually be quite consistently available with most, you know, most of my frequent interlocutors uh, who, who are oriented toward that. We consistently get that through the process of dialogue. But in the process of prayer, it's not always the case. And there's this quality of like people. Uh, I remember talking to uh, a, a cousin of mine or, about his relationship to prayer. And we'd watched this Scorsese film, The Silence. And this is how he was describing his relationship to prayer. It was like, you can have an extended period of feeling like, you know, there's no one on the other end of the line. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And yet there's something to... Hmm. That there is something to showing up for the practice, even in the absence of getting in touch with the real, because because like eventually a true a true prayer can arise out of the out of the kind of silence, out of the lostness of not being able to give give to find the words of a true prayer. Mm -hmm. But then equally, like, it may well be the thing that gets you back uh, in touch is something completely contrary to that. And you can imagine like a Jesuit monk or something just hitting the prayer mat every day and lacerating themselves, but, you know, actually going and getting out into nature or doing some intense exercise or music or something might be the thing that uh, re-harmonizes the instrument um, and brings about the tears, which mm-hmm. to me is pretty much most of the time the, the, the key fluid um, it's it's like the lubricating fluid that gets the the machinery of communion moving again. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. What I would like to say is um, that. I also experience um, repeatedly, frequent, like yeah, fre- repeatedly. I experience blissfulness, real deep blissfulness in, in the practices, and they have they have a kind of solidity, which we cannot or I cannot deny. It's just like there's something so stable. Just like meditation, you know, when you sit down on the mat in the in the meditation position, there's something stable about it. It's like that that holds, you know, that holds. Um, I think, and the point that I tried to make is, you know, in order to make 
it, when it, maybe it's in the beginning, it's hard. Sometimes it can even be hard, you know, for somebody who's experienced. Um, then make it, you know, in order to tap into that, you know, more original dimension, of course, what do our cultures have? I mean, education, training, becoming better at this, you know, inhabit, just learning, learning. And, and that's just something, you know, that, um, that's an integral part of all of this. So it's not just the practice, but also, you know, how, do the, how does the learning occur? Because if somebody has never had, an, you know, I know a lot of people who cannot listen to you for 10 minutes. They would lose it, like, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. attention, attention span collapses. And like, I cannot send them, you know, like, I don't know, 50 hours of awakening from the meaning Christ. <laughs> <laughs> because like, that doesn't, you know, yeah. you need, you need to, you know, this is a serious topic, you know, how, how do you reach somebody who is like, who just doesn't have the capacities to engage in like a two hour conversation about a difficult topic? or a conversation that's from the whole style is very meditative, is very, you know, is very, you know, we try to listen intently and so on. Um, so mm -hmm. Mm. at some point, you know, this, this thing, of course, you know, it attracts a lot of people who kind of are naturally inclined to do these things, but, at some point you know it can only survive if there's if there's if there's really somebody thinks about okay what what faculties or capacities within us are necessary in order to engage with this um more fluently more skillfully and so it is i would say with prayer you know for somebody who is just maybe has just a superficial knowledge of christianity then the prayer might not work. It might just remain inert. It might just remain superficial. But for somebody, you know, who, who is very fluent in the stories of the Old and the New Testament and has really an access to that, that mythos and that, that symbolic way of looking at the world and interacting with the world, then... All of it makes sense, I would say. Um, so it's, it, for me, a lot of it is also a question, you know, of learning again and how, how we can again create a culture where those kinds of things are, are you know, taught to people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, on the on the first point of those those friends, those um, people who you definitely like personally, for me, I couldn't show up in the way that I do in these dialogues in those relationships. Not even if I tried. Me too. Because <laughs> the 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 field is not available. Yeah. Um, 
or it's been so preconditioned of a, you know, a long, long time to be a certain way that it's like not helpful to try and bring all of this stuff in. Um, like it, 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 it wouldn't translate um, necessarily. Just, just saying this, you know, this is an, this is, this is a perennial question. That's also in Plato's cave. You know, how do you go back to all these people who are blinded by shadows today? We would maybe say, I don't know, a mass media, Netflix, <laughs> right? <laughs> What's all? Um, sometimes, you know, um, John Mavaki and, and he sometimes talks about you know seducing them out but what actually you know what plato tells us in 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 the myth of the cave is no no they want to kill you they stab socrates you know socrates is is forced to drink the hemlock um the seduction doesn't work <laughs> um they, he's tried at the at for for seducing the youth you know um mm. so it's a perennial question you know how to to make that thing available and how to bring the people who are not in touch with it you know to 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 bring them into that you know field of sense mm. Mm. yeah this is a really rich um intersection i recollect touching on it with og rose um in one of our christianity conversations in which we were talking about how do you bring the like if you try and bring the mountaintop experience down mm. someone who hasn't had that experience it's unhelpful and potentially unfair and not useful and the question was like how do we how is that how what's the meaningful way to actually bring that down and through into the everyday interaction where we got to was effectively um love <laughs> love was mm -hmm. the was the thing that did not require um did not require them to experience what you'd experienced or have the conceptual landscape but you could still be bringing something through um, but what you've what you've put forward here, I really appreciate you situating it in the perenniality of the problem of philosophers and mystics for all time. Um, so I th I think there's there's two uh, two ways that I'm thinking about how it can be brought out. And I do want to hear a bit more from you about the, the kind of pedagog pedagogical vision. Um, but for me, I've been um, branching into music a lot more. And I've also been working on my Substack, which is not really about Dialogos. It's more kind of reflections of my, um, of my life journey. And so it's called Culture Pilgrim. And with that, there's a whole... Um, there's an effort to cultivate an aesthetic, um, not for the purpose of seduction, but hopefully in the in the making of what's beautiful to me, it is seductive. Um, and you can say, well, that's you know, that's the people who are going to be drawn to it anyway. But hopefully, it's it's them plus a little more. It's like there is there's some porosity in 
our fields of awareness and social media and communication that some element is coming through and i i do hope like in the in the music for instance to bring some of these notions into rap into something that's much more kind of um like in music you don't have to think it through if it's musically true then the ears receive it and it just comes through and people are like uh they don't have to even they don't have to have a conceptual buy-in it's just oh this you know this is bouncing this is good <laughs> and then then also the consciousness of the lyrics can suffuse into culture and i think you do see that with like um there has been like a trend in a lot of big rappers like kendrick lamar's recent album was um i would say like injecting a lot of consciousness about ancestral healing and trauma and shadow work and connecting with god and connecting with the spirit of nature like all of this stuff was infused into the album um and if there were a lot of people who were like oh, i liked it better when he was just angry and talking about the street shit but um a lot of people will have been impacted by that and so art is definitely one way that i think the the philosophical scene and community will best communicate itself and i do see a lot of promising artists and people who are who are doing art and philosophy at the same time so that feels really um really juicy yeah yeah i 100% agree um it's funny you know what plato says in in the myth of the cave you know the chains are falling off of the cave people they're 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 not taken away by anybody they also do not do this themselves they just fall off and it's often right it's it's often you know um maybe there is a time you know in all of our lives where we were also going with the flow of the culture and then suddenly you know suddenly that dimension arises suddenly it's often happens very suddenly um we engage ourselves more and more with it and so on um i think <laughs> i think what what plato was just very acutely aware of that there are people who are doing all of this for the sake of power which are the sophists <laughs> and um for those mm. for those people you know then knowledge acquisition is for example for power for money for status or wealth mm. not for wisdom or religiosity or spirituality so um To be more sophisticated, right? The sophist, <laughs> the sophistication is originally from is the, the sophist. True, true. Is so eloquent in their language that you can't distinguish true wisdom from sophistication, intellectual sophistication that, you know, yeah. is like, oh, they sound so 
clever. I want to go and study under them and so on. Yeah, yeah. And that's a you know that's a great that's a great danger because um, that I see now um, there's a problem. You know, this is completely different box, but it has to do you know uh, information explosion in a sense. What we are doing on YouTube is is very new for like our species in a sense, you know, we always had a kind of, there were people who were scholars, accomplished people who were kind of curating knowledge. But today we are all in a sense in that, in those fields, wisdom, spirituality, and so on. We are in a sense, we are all left to our own devices and I would say it's likely that you rather find somebody who's sophisticated in the sense you just outlined than somebody who really wants to genuinely offer you wisdom. Even in this space, you know, um, there's no knowledge curation going on on YouTube. It's just we are uploading everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just uh and we all we all are just you know we're left to our own maybe john would call it relevance realization to find out you know what's what's the best uh, nobody's helping us with that so this whole dimension you know of you know teachers is 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 not there and universities in my opinion have also abandoned that more comprehensive task, you know. We learn a lot of knowledge, but like philosophia in the ancient sense is barely present in universities. Um, and there's a lot of knowledge where I would say that it's completely uh, hostile <laughs> to uh, some, you know, some strands of postmodernism. Um, and it has all to do, you know, with in some sense, there is too much information. And also, the last, you know, the last universal scholar was Alexander von Humboldt in around 1700. After that, you know, there was just this explosion of knowledge. Nobody could keep up with all the fields of knowledge and hold them together. Um, so that's that's just making the problem, I would say, more severe for our age. Um, <laughs> uh, with this, uh, you know, with with this whole problem, I I just read it like two days, three days ago. I read again Nietzsche and the God is Dead aphorism. This whole problem that. Um, science and religion are more or less opposed to each other in our day and age and not like mutually supporting each other. This is like still an ongoing problem that we haven't solved really in a, cult in a cultural domain. How to bring together the scientific worldview and maybe the religious symbolic worldview. Mm. They're more like antagonists. Um, and that that's just again also making the problem more severe because then this is also to do with the field of dialogue you know i read in a in a book in a history book you know in germany 
even at the beginning of the 20th century, um, people who, who would say they are secular, like physicists, natural scientists, were interested in what's going on in theology, philosophy, and so on, and vice versa. Like people who were into philosophy and theology kind of knew what was going on in the secular world. And they had a dialogues. But in my estimation, this is also barely going on, apart from a few figures, maybe like, you know, maybe Ian McGillchrist, John Levakey, maybe. Others are, you know, you mentioned Rupert Sheldrick before. I mean, <laughs> he's not, he's not, uh, he's, he's, he's not part of the, he's not accepted by the scientific community. So he's kicked out of that field. And that's a problem, of course. So that's, and now I feel like I have opened much more problems <laughs> with all of it. I, I think we can work with this. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot here. Uh, I am sensitive that we had proposed to be finishing in five minutes, and I want to see if you have some more runway uh, for this dialogue, or you have a hard stop, or we can go a little bit longer. Yeah, sure. Okay. Do you want to just intuit it, or should we set a particular time? Let's go. I don't know, fifteen, twenty minutes. That's all right. Awesome. All right. Um, okay. So there's this profound fragmentation that's occurred. <laughs> and this the spirit of this of the pre-modern scholar that's kind of not just that's both binding together and also kind of holding this lineage intergenerationally as well. It seems that what's demanded is definitely a a binding process, a binding force. Um, and herein, the dialogos flows through um, as a as a profound bridge building sandbox. Um, as the quality of these dialogues does move between so many different terrains as we have today and hopefully in doing so identifies connections with them that have been forgotten through that fragmentation uh in a certain sense we are or the 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 self-organizing wisdom of this form of dialogue and if we want to expand it out the the uh the the creatively organizing logos that brings the chaos of the fragmentation into a, a bound woven kind of you know thread rope tapestry of intelligibility um you know or just enough to get humanity in through the next eye of the needle through across into the next kind of horizon of um you know unknown uh, and of course, this is profoundly, profoundly important now, even more so than 100 and 200 years ago, because of the breadth of discoveries that have occurred, uh, I think, especially in relation to physics and astronomy, 
and the sheer depth and breadth of the known universe um combined with the quantum universe together like i i think that the uh we've we've had these explosions in knowledge that are not actually properly bound and situating our sense of selfhood what it means to be human what's important in our lives um and we often get glimpses of this people have you know moments staring up at the night sky and or you know there's a lot of like kind of low quality netflix documentaries about space and stuff and you get a little bit of a taste of wonder and for a moment, maybe you uh, resituate your your selfhood in your life, but it's not bound. It doesn't have the the binding, the religio kind of quality in which actually our knowledge and our wisdom are in coherence. Um, mm-hmm. I I would you know I would I would put forth to you that. I think religio is 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 just you know we I think every human being every human being has experienced glimpses of wonder where you look at the night sky and you're just in awe of the world or creation or being being everything that is religio is that which helps you to be in touch participate with that element remember it on a kind of reliable basis so that you just you know it's just just a matter of holding yourself in the world in such a way that binds you right religious binding binds you to the wonder, but then also like again the sense of beings, beings in the dimension of sense, um, such that what Nishitani would call this the self-realization of reality, that that mutual coupling of self and world can can occur or can realize itself. Mm. Um, but then it's 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 just you know do we have a culture where you know somebody has a glimpse of it then it's easy for that person to again find the way out of the platonic cave and find the way out of you no know, forgetting so, so, so um, you know and remember that being in wonder and so on or do we have a culture which you know <laughs> Uh, it's very easy, you know, to do other things and distract ourselves with with other stuff. Um, and I would say, you know, that the proper education just teaches you the thing, you know, that you, from the body, be it music, be it sports or gymnastics, be it literature, m- myths, and so on. Um, that we can be just more in touch with the sense of things and i think i think all of this is very simple <laughs> to be honest um mm-hmm. the, 
the, the problem is just that you know science um science it's um <laughs> You know, I find often it's from the problem is not so scientism is, is is one problem. So it's on the on the problem, you know, philosophical worldviews. Um that that's certain and then I mean these are these are issues that need to be dealt out philosophically. Um I would say. But what dialogue, what dialogue, dialogues can do is maybe train us in such a way that we can also accept a different position than ours, and we can, we can, you know, in the spirit of dialogue, we can also maybe have arguments, have disagreements. That's often important, and not not just you know go away again into our own echo chamber, but, but stay in touch mm. because dialogos mm. can help us re remember that there is, there is a source in which that we all share a fountain of, you know, of intelligibility to which we all belong that I think can dialogos can really do. Mm. regards you know different worldviews different philosophical perspectives and so on but that's that's i would say at the heart of it that we, we tap into that dimension to which we all belong this is a kind of uh there was a spark that was thrown out when you spoke about the um The, the, for example, the postmodern forces that are actively hostile to this in some sense. Um, and Socrates being killed and Jesus being killed and... And mystics being named heretics. <laughs> right, right. And this matter of power... Uh, with the sophists like uh, there's a there's a there's a little through line i've been tracking and it it seems pertinent also to the capacity to engage in 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 deep disagreement um honorably is is something to do with power like integrated power um is something that also is a property that emerges from fullness of spirit and and so i i, I like i also see a political dimension not in any traditional sense of uh political programs but when the status quo is so broken down, the ones who are cultivating genuine wisdom at a certain point, there's a there's a potency to that in touchness that is has a kind of self-evident uh, sense making, and over time, you know, with interaction with reality and dealing with dealing with the world, it takes on the 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 capacity to move powerfully. Um, 
and I've, you know, just in the last year, I've begun to see like more spiritual philosophical leaders like Aubrey Marcus and Charles Eisenstein, you know, these people that are gathering, uh, organizing, doing practices and so on, but there's a political quality to it. And they're all kind of congregating now around Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential bid, which is like, you know, straight into the into that arena. But more broadly, I there's an open question for me of how power and potency is generated through these fields, you know, as much as listening and mm tranquility <laughs> yeah that's a that's a the know. power of bliss you know the power there's a power in bliss as well mm -hmm. yeah I, maybe beyond <laughs> beyond the beyond scope, to, the, beyond scope, the scope of, of this course <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's oh. always good to end on a <laughs> On an oh. upwards launching into the next question, but no, maybe just saying, you know, I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I have to say, I don't know these people so well that you mentioned right now. So, um, I tried to follow politics, not so much, <laughs> um, especially American politics. Um, I know not too many things uh, but anyways there is definitely a political dimension to this because it, it it again it goes at really some of the 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 heart you know of how to constitute social life i mean do we gather in the church on sunday or do we go to the club on on saturday evening until 6 a.m <laughs> <laughs> and then then sleep while church is going on it's really going at the heart of you know how to make social life you know the secular answer is you know that this is all up to the individual and to the 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 the, the ability to reason that each individual has so how we use our freedom that's up to us that's in some but you know then of course there will be more lines of difference in the culture which will eat us up at some point because there's just too much difference and like no identity which is also a perennial problem how to manage identity and difference um so and then you know this is this is like what happened to protestantism they're just fragmenting fragmenting and fragmenting like no 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 mothership that's holding everything together um and i think this is in some sense also you know happening in the culture you know fragmenting into echo chambers and echo chambers and echo chambers and youtube you know just helps to create more and more echo chambers so again what I said before, our solution is that every individual has to solve this for him or herself. I personally think this is a very risky solution. <laughs> it's, it's not the best solution, uh, certainly, but 
it's it it is what it is right now and yeah um, thinking beyond it i would also have to think more about it like in, in more greater detail I mean, mm. like i don't really have an answer to that problem to be honest <laughs> <laughs> i can just tell that dialogos is great and <laughs> <laughs> helps to bind people together to reality and so on so that's <laughs> that's all i can say yes absolutely absolutely sir and also i would say you know in so far as philosophy is also invitation binding those niches together bringing new uh bringing those all of those fragmented categories together into into dialogue as well um and so dialogos perhaps you know may not be the mothership but it, it can be the some of the the engine the engineering that that binds parts together and allows them to cohere in in the kind of resonance that i've experienced with you today so at least there are at least some good teachers and libraries where all these books are available then <laughs> we, we we i think i think you know uh things will be fine <laughs> yes I'm looking forward to visiting you in a very tasteful library at some point down the line. Hopefully lots of mahogany and uh, dust and <laughs> scrolls and things. Or just in that Ikea shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, thank, it's, been, thank uh, you. it's been really great to have you on. And um, yeah, I really just... Uh, feel the clarifying spirit of participating in dialogue with you very much. Um, so it's been great. Thank you. Thank you as well. It was very nice to talk with you. <laughs>